The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. City Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Kickenfeld. If you follow the news in Anchorage, you might be aware that the City Assembly and the Mayor are currently at odds. One of the many areas of conflict is around the newly created position of Chief Equity Officer. I don't want to delve into the legal wrangling taking place around this position, but rather want to highlight the position itself. It has been reported by Alaska's news source that the position was created by the Assembly to promote equity and opportunity within the municipality, as well as work with the mayor's office to ensure community representation and to help create opportunities for communities of color, the disability community, immigrants and refugees, LGBTQ plus residents, and more. One way to understand the creation of the office of the chief equity officer by the Anchorage Assembly is to see it as a desire to ensure that things in Anchorage are the way they're supposed to be for all people. In our last episode, we looked at the historic gap in who represents and leads the city politically and the residents of the city. On this episode, we're talking with Austin Quinn Davison, the former acting mayor and current assembly member, and EJR David, who's a professor of psychology at the University of Alaska Anchorage, as well as an author, speaker, and consultant. We are talking with them to gain a better understanding of how the leadership of the city can become the way it's supposed to be for all people. Davidson. I've lived in Anchorage for 10 years. I'm originally from Northern California. I grew up in a really tiny town in a place called Trinity County, which uh, you don't really end up unless you're intentionally going there. (laughs) It's in the middle of sort of the long valley that runs through California and the coast, Um, a little mountain town that um, mostly was the industry there was logging when I was growing up. Cool. So I guess I'll ask you a question right off the bat that I didn't tell you I was going to ask you, but um, what, what brought you originally to Alaska and to Anchorage? I um, had done, so I was in law school with a number of friends who were looking at doing clerkships up here in Alaska. Um, and I had applied for one and then decided, you know, I'd had this opportunity to work um, at a law firm in San Francisco. And I thought, well, I should do that. I really should go and do this thing that really wasn't me. I was sort of more into Alaska type adventures, but I thought, well, I have this opportunity. I should do it. And I did. And I, you know, I lasted for a year or two and then went on to another job in, um, in Tahoe actually. And then just kind of Alaska kept pulling me, I think like it does to a lot of folks, um, North and I kept visiting friends and then eventually just decided to, to move up. I think in a lot of ways, it reminds me of where I'm from. You know, I'm from a pretty conservative um, county, a lot of um, ranching, wilderness area, uh, logging, pretty similar to the southeast here, actually southeast Alaska. And um, but also there was this vein of people who were adventurers and who, you know, my mom, her family's from L.A. and they she fled um, LA and came to the middle of nowhere and had met my dad and he came from the Bay Area and they were part of this crew of people who had all left the city 
for something different and for, you know, outdoor sort of creative, fun, adventurous life. And um, to me, Alaska and Anchorage reminds me a lot of that, has many of those same features. Yeah, I think that draws a lot of people here and maybe even the interplay between like the city that's right on the edge of all right. of the wilderness and all of this adventure that you can do outside of the city. So folks will probably know you from Anchorage that from being on the assembly and being the acting mayor. And the, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is like the history of Anchorage has been that they've only ever elected male mayors. And if, if my research is correct, only ever elected white male mayors. So we've, we were really kind of stuck in a rut there. What was it like to be kind of appointed the acting mayor? And what was that experience like for you to be the first woman to be in that position in the hundred year mm -hmm. history of the city? It's, it's interesting because it's both um, nothing different than what you would typically do as a mayor, right? And then it's incredibly different in some ways. And so I think starting off with that, not much different. Of course, you're running the city, you're trying to protect folks from COVID, you're you know, looking at how you handle the homelessness challenges in front of us. You're making sure people can stay in their homes and getting emergency rent uh, funds to them. So all of those things are someone that any, you know, male, female, somewhere in between whatever you would be doing. On the other hand, I think that the path to becoming the first female mayor looks really different. And I think that something that men maybe take for granted is having role models that you look up to that are like you. And you know, I, I was asked in an interview while I was acting there, you know, who, who's your mentor um, to get to this place? And, you know, you look at the wall of mayors, the photos, right? There's this um, wall of photos of all the past mayors right outside the mayor's office. So every day that I was working in the office, which was not the whole time, but, you know, you walk by that and, and you look at that and you go, who's my mentor? Who's my role model? Who do I look at and say, oh yeah, that's my goal for my career, for my public service. And I think that men really take for granted that they have a lot of those and that women just don't in the same way. And it takes being you know, creative and seeing yourself, seeing your leadership style in that position. And that's also different, right? I mean, I think women tend to be more collaborative, less hierarchical, um, certainly the way I think I operated and worked um, as mayor and in the mayor's office specifically was very different than past mayors. At least that's what I was told. And so I think you have to be okay. You have to have this confidence that I'm going to do something different. As a woman, I don't need to, you know, sink right into how a man would do his job. I have to do it how I would do it. And that's what I'm bringing to it. You know, and I, I think a lot of folks who talk about diversity really want, oh yeah, we want more women, but they want women to come in and do the exact same thing the man would have done. And I think that the beauty in leadership and in public service and in everything beyond that of diversity is not in all emulating what leaders before us would do, but in bringing our true and whole selves to that space and being confident enough to know that your leadership style, even if it's different, is, is special and, and can change the city in a positive way. So you mentioned that, that folks would say to you that you weren't operating the way that the previous mayors had. And you, you mentioned a couple of times, you kind of your leadership style. So kind of what is your leadership style and, and what did they point out that was like, well, that's a little bit different than what we've seen before. Yeah, I think that I really approach that role as there is an incredible team already existing who I knew through my work on the assembly, you know, many of them, but and got to know many of them much better. But these are professionals who know what they're doing, who are um, experts in their field. And I'm here to partner with them and to make all of these programs and things that we're doing successful, rather than, you know, I'm coming in to look at you know, who I want to keep and who I want to bring on and sort of this very um, top-down perspective. Now, obviously, when you're the mayor, there, there is a top-down hierarchy. It's just the way it works. Someone has to be someone's boss. But I think um, really listening to your colleagues and encouraging them to speak up and have ideas and giving them freedom to run with things and to bring up new ideas and collaborate with new partners. Um, you know, one example, for instance, is 
the press conferences that were happening around COVID, I think prior to when I came, they um, were mostly the mayor and the health department director. And so from the outside, I always saw those and thought, well, why aren't you having businesses talk? And why aren't you having, you know, talking about the economic impacts? Why don't you have an economist there talking about um, COVID and how controlling COVID actually is the best way to protect the economy and support the economy. And, and we know that that's true from economists. Why don't you have, you know, other folks talking, just talking about the impact of COVID? Why aren't we talking about the mental health impacts for people? You know, there's so much going on in our community. And I don't think we all just see ourselves in the mayor and the health director. That's not necessarily the best messenger for everyone. And so we just totally changed our press conferences and brought in a variety of folks. Um, we tried to diversify it in, you know, age and background and um, topic. And I think that they really, they worked well and people could, you know, connect with them a little more than, than maybe some people could have before. So a few years ago, I think five or six years ago, um, Dr. David from the, the university wrote an opinion piece in the Daily News um, and the, and the, the title was, yes, Anchorage and, and Alaska are rich in diversity, but what about equality? Um, and that's an article that at least for me helped get some of the stuff, some of this topic on the radar for me of like, oh yeah, this is a very diverse place, but does the leadership look the way that the city looks? Um, and then I, I know over the last number of months with the, the hiring and then firing of the chief equity officer and the hiring of, of Chief McCoy to be the first African-American police chief in the city's history. And then also um, with yourself being the first female mayor, sort of this equality and equity conversation has been sort of brought back up to the front in a way, I think that it hasn't been for a long time. So one of the questions I have is just, from your perspective, what can be done in the city or what can citizens do in the city to sort of start moving the city's um, leadership to be more representative of all of the population of Anchorage? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's a hard question to answer because I think it starts early, right? It starts small. It's not, um, we don't do a couple things and then we have a bunch of women and um, people of color self-selecting to run for mayor. That doesn't happen. It happens with white men all the time, white straight men. They self-identify as um, the best candidate all the time, even when they're not. Um, women and people of color are less likely to do that. And so um, I think it starts with conversations about that and in recruiting candidates, you know, what are the qualities we're looking for, not who wants to run. I mean, we have a system here where it's basically self-selecting. So, you know, men all the time say, I want to run for whatever house in West Anchorage. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, I want to run for assembly in South Anchorage. I want, and, you know, most of those folks, because they've been watching the role models, like we discussed earlier, who look like them and sound like them and self-selected just like them, it's natural for them to say, yeah, I wanna do that too. And so I think as a community, we need to be comfortable saying, hang on, are you the right person for that? Like, who is the right person to run for this? What are the qualities we're looking for? Not just who wants to do it. And so that's one thing I try to, when folks approach me and say they wanna run, um, not just take the first person and say, yeah, I wanna support you because I will tell you, you know, 90% of the time that will be um, a white man. And there's nothing wrong with white men, but they definitely dominate politics. Um, I, think, I think another thing is, um, you know, we, I think we need to be honest with ourselves when we say that we want to see more diversity and we wanna see more, you know, women and people of color and LGBTQ folks and et cetera thrive. Are our actions supporting that? And one example for me is I think about the school, the charter school system we have here. We've created essentially private program schools that offer specialty services that mostly white affluent parents pull their kids out of the local neighborhood school and put them in these special charter schools that have wonderful programs and you know they're great. The problem with that is all the parents then who tend to be white, tend to be affluent, then focus all their energies, volunteer, et cetera, on those schools and really drain the local schools um, and, and leave a lot of those kids behind. And so that's a race and a class issue. But I think it's something that a lot of my progressive friends and a lot of people just in general do. And 
simultaneously will say they care about equity and they care about diversity and they care about their communities being integrated. And in fact, what they're doing is segregating communities. And I think it starts with kids. And um, it's something I've talked with the superintendent about, and I hope that the school board um, will continue to explore. You know, a lot of these charter schools don't offer free lunch. They don't offer free breakfast. They don't offer busing services. So unless you have, you know, a parent who can take off school at 3 p.m. and pick up their kid, or I mean, take off work at 3 p.m. pick up their kid, that, that is not most people of color or people who are from disadvantaged economic backgrounds. It's just not the reality. And anyway, so I think just having a real reckoning with ourselves about like, what are we as individuals doing to perpetuate the way things have always been? Two things you said that I think are really interesting there. One is like, how do we sort of nominate those that might run for office? Um, and I hadn't thought about the, you were using the term self-selecting and that's it, very definitely how we do it um, currently in Anchorage. It, it makes me wonder about like sort of a nomination system. I don't know how you would ever do that, but it goes across my mind and the idea of like, I don't, um, I don't know if I would have thought at first about this, the school equity issue as being one of the places to build this sort of from the ground up that we can't just build it sort of from the top down, similar to how you're talking about the leadership styles um, in office, but even how we think about this idea of building from the ground up instead of from the top down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing that. It's been a pretty wild year or two um, for the assembly. Um, and I would love to hear for you, like how, well, what that's been a little bit like for you, but also how do we move forward from that as well? I mean, mm -hmm. we're obviously we're facing this, these issues of access and equity in the city, but also just, it seems like we're having a hard time figuring out how to even have a conversation yeah. Uh, other topics as well. So I'd love to hear your thoughts of how we move forward as a city, having gone through or still in the middle of this very divided time. ADN even had an article in recent weeks of it being the most divisive assembly session in 50 years. So that's, that's a huge task. And I would love to hear yeah. from you. How do we move forward? Sure. Wow, I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> no. Um, we're in a really difficult place and it's not just in Anchorage. It's not just in Alaska. It's throughout our country and even the world. And um, I think what we can do is be kind to each other and be open-minded and be willing to listen to other people. Um, but we also have to stop fake, you know, we have to stop misinformation. We can't be open-minded about, you know, whether, <laughs> um, you know, whether getting vaccinated is the best way to protect yourself against COVID. It is absolutely the best way to protect yourself against COVID. And there is no debate. There should be no debate about that. And so, you know, we need to both be um, strong about our views, but kind about them. The reason that we're willing to go to bat to get people vaccinated is because it saves lives and we care about people of all stripes. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a Republican, Democrat, something in between, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, and so I think that there's there, the name calling, the stuff you see, particularly online, I think that um, the internet has really fostered that behavior. Um, but I don't know, I don't know the answer. It's been very hard as an assembly member, as mayor. It's, I mean, you can kind of tune out the noise to some extent, but it is um, very disappointing about the state of our country. I'd like to take a step back to the previous question for just a moment, but could you explain to listeners and maybe to me as well, so there's been a lot of discussion around the chief equity officer, but is that position, to explain to me sort of what is that position designed to do and is it there to do the type of things that we're talking about with wanting to um, make sure that everybody's representative and has access in the city? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, um, the job description itself has some um, wide allowances for different things that the equity, equity officer him or herself would want to do. I think with Clifford, you know, when I went through the hiring process with my staff and I invited um, uh, two local women of color to participate in the hiring process to make sure that, you know, if there were perspectives I was missing, that they were there to help me um, and also just to build a team around whoever that person was that they could come in and have support. And um, that I think really worked out well. But anyway, in hiring Clifford, I mean, it was clear that he was just so qualified and had done a lot of this um, really kind of meticulous policy based work 
um, in another city and brought that experience with them. So some people might want to start with community-based work. Some people might want to start with policy-based work and, you know, are you meeting certain federal and state standards? That's where Clifford decided to, be uh, to begin. Um, but I think the door was wide open for what kinds of things um, could that person with the support of the city do to make our city um, more, more equitable? That's really helpful. Thanks for explaining that. The flexibility that's inside of that, that there's lots of different directions that those that folk that that staff person could to, could take to move towards um, creating greater equity. So that's really helpful. I know in the middle of all this, um, you have to somehow keep yourself centered. <laughs> and um, I, I wonder if you would share with um, our listeners, if there's a self-care or mindfulness or um, spiritual practice that you do that helps keep you centered in the middle of all the work that you're doing. Yeah, I've certainly done um, meditation in my life before, but I've never done it. Um, I haven't done it in the last year. So I can't say that that's been a help for this. Uh, maybe I should have turned to it. But I think for me, it's um, time with family and friends and laughing and realizing that we're going to get through this. I think, you know, being around kids is helpful because they have this pure approach that reminds you that you know, life will go on and no matter the challenges, we will endure and we'll just do our best. And that's all we can do. Um, and I would say, you know, daily walks or exercise, um, we're always trying to stay active in our family. I think that really helps, helps and, um, and music. I love music. And so just, you know, blasting music when I drive around in the car or um, at home and just really, you know, it, it just speaks to us, I think, at our kind of raw human level that lets all the other stuff evaporate um, and gives you a little perspective. So I always turn to my my favorite music when I really need that. Thank you for sharing that. I think people can relate to that for sure. I know for me, music's really, really helpful and sort of, mm -hmm. sort of in, a, in a way, kind of my soul language. Yeah. Um, so also like getting outside as well every day kind of helps mm -hmm. me unwind from the things that are going on. Thank you so much for taking time to uh, talk with us and for using your time on behalf of the city and its citizens. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking and um, best of luck with the rest of the folks you're speaking with. And there are deserts that I have yet to cross and I have dreamed of faraway places where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over For one proverb that is true But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't Throughout this season, we've been pausing to let you know about the Imagine Project. All during this season of the Anchored City podcast, we're exploring the places in the city where things are or are becoming the way they're supposed to be for all people. During the months of September, October, and November, we've been partnering with Kaladi Brothers Coffee to hear from you about what would make Anchorage the way it's supposed to be for all people. We've been asking people the question, for Anchorage to be the way it's supposed to be for all people, I imagine. You might be wondering how that project's going. We asked someone with a front row seat to tell us what they've seen. Hi, I'm Jeremiah. I'm in charge of the downtown cafe for Kaladi Brothers. And when we started doing this project, I honestly was expecting to have to deal with more problematic people writing uh, profane things up on the boards and having to make sure to take them down and police it a lot more. But it was actually ended up being incredibly productive. I only had to uh, race it a couple of times throughout the two month period. And it was really lovely because people actually started engaging more in conversations with each other based off of what was being written on the boards. Yeah, I would say that one of the big, big things that I saw was uh, they, customers would come in and they would see things written on the boards and feel better about themselves and about the state of things uh, just based off of what they saw. And if nothing else, people also would write funny things and would help give people a good laugh otherwise. <laughs> To join in and share what you imagine, stop by a local Kaladi Brothers Cafe and look for the posters explaining the project and the chalkboard where you can record your input. 
Go to anchorageutc.org slash allpeople to find out about participating locations. If you can't make it to a cafe, you can share your thoughts by going to facebook.com slash anchorageutc. Responses will be gathered and presented to Anchorage decision makers for their consideration. Please join us in imagining an Anchorage that's the way it's supposed to be for all people. For more information, go to anchorageutc.org slash allpeople. And with all those lessons learned With the crazy long life that I lived already And the scars I earned I still can't seem to find the answers And though the questions are never new But loving you just once was worth it Uh, my name is EJ David. I am a father and a husband. I am an immigrant from the Philippines. I have been living in Alaska now for, oh gosh, uh, almost 30 years. <laughs> and I have four children. I also work at the University of Alaska Anchorage as a professor of psychology. And I live in the Gayakuk, the traditional lands of the Dena'ina people. So I know a number of years ago, I think in 2015, you wrote an opinion piece in the paper talking about um, Anchorage and Alaska being really diverse, but not being um, very equitable. And that Mm -hmm. was one of the first, I know for me, that was an article that I read and I was like, oh yeah, I've never really thought about it sort of in that way. And it sort of changed Mm -hmm. my thinking. And I know in recent weeks and months, the the assemblies had their ongoing kind of battle with the mayor over the chief equity officer. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's this sort of, as we were talking before we started recording this, this historic kind of lack of representation, especially in the mayor's office, but also on the the assembly. Um, Mm -hmm. So one of the questions I have for you, and I know you've, you've done a lot of writing and thinking in this area, but what can Anchorage do um, or what can citizens maybe do to start moving towards a representation in the political realm that looks more mm-hmm. like the whole population of the city? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Uh, so there are many things that we can do. And, and I think some of that effort have actually already begun. Um, so I believe uh, Mara Kimmel, um, who used to be the first lady of Anchorage. Um, she started this initiative called Welcoming Anchorage. Um, and one of the many things that that particular initiative was doing um, is this project, um, I believe it's called um, Untapped Talent. Yeah, I think it's called Untapped Talent. And what, is, what that is, is it's a collaboration between some University of Alaska Anchorage researchers, some colleagues of mine, um, and also some community leaders uh, in the immigrant and refugee communities here in town. And what really the idea behind it is that, yeah, you know, we are very diverse. We've learned that. We've, you know, we've known that we're beginning to appreciate that. And this diversity, you know, the people that, that um, you know, that come here, from different parts of the world, they bring with them, not just you know, their culture, which is a strength that they bring, um, but they also bring with them a lot of talent, a lot of skills, many times a lot of training and a lot of education, right? And so we as a city, I'm not, you know, we, we, we need to not just acknowledge that and celebrate that, we need to harness that. Right, harness that, you know, to create a, a, a thriving, healthier, uh, just better city overall for everybody, right? And you know, so there was there are those some there are those efforts already, um, you know, that 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 started. Um, I'm not sure uh, that is continuing right now um, under the current administration. Um, so yeah, so I'm not sure what's happening with that right now. Um, so there's there's that. Now to to get to I guess to the main uh, spirit of your question there is you know what about people who are you know like in terms of leadership, right? 
like our government leadership out of the assembly and and you know even other uh, positions of, of of leadership and power. Um, all I have to say about that is that the people are there. <laughs> uh, the people are there. Uh, like I said earlier, that you know these you know we have a lot of people. Uh, that represent different communities um, who are highly educated, who are highly trained, who are highly competent, highly skilled, and highly qualified um, to do this work, you know, to, to, you know, to become leaders of our city. Um, and, you know, many of them have tried to take on these leadership roles. Um, They've ran for office. Um, and people just don't vote for them. <laughs> so, so, you know, so it's not about um, people not wanting to step up. Uh, it's not about, you know, qualified people not wanting to step up. And it's not even about qualifications or experience at all. Um, they're there. Um, it's just that, you know, it's Anchorage ready. To, to vote for them is encourage ready to not just celebrate diversity, to not just be happy about, you know, all of the food, you know, and all of the dances, you know, and all of the art, you know, that all of our diversity brings, um, is encourage actually ready for, for, you know, for different people to lead? Um, is encourage ready to, 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 to see diversity more than just an accessory, right? Um, is, is Anchorage actually ready for diverse leadership, diverse viewpoints, um, diverse ways of doing things? So we haven't gotten the answer to that yet. Or actually, we, we have, and so far the answer is no. So as I listen to you um, answer that question, I mean, I guess the question I have then is if the answer is no, and I know this is like, um, maybe asking you to mind read the city of Anchorage, but like, why do you think the answer has been no when there have been folks who've run and there's, there's clearly qualified um, folks in, in, in our community who could step into those positions? Well, I think the systems, uh, the system that, you know, is just not set up um, to be welcoming of diverse candidates, right? Um, of diverse voices and diverse viewpoints. Um, you know, Anchorage, just like really the rest of the nation, we operate under a two-party system. And, you know, these two parties control all of the power, they control all of the money, all the funding, and really it's, it's whoever they pick to be their candidates who are going to come out on top. Um, and, you know, who's going to come out you know, in a head-to-head -head battle, yes. And so, uh, you know, in that particular system really does not lend itself very well for, for diverse viewpoints, um, you know, and, and so, so I think that's a big part of it. And uh, that might change though. So, you know, so because, you know, the recent changes uh, with how voting is going to happen from now on with rank voice, uh, rank vote, I guess, is that the right term? Uh, is it rank voting? Rank choice. choice, rank choice. Yeah, rank choice voting, right? You know, with the rank choice voting um, that is going to, to be used now in, in upcoming elections, um, that might make a difference. Um, a lot of people, we'll see how it goes. You know, I, again, again, I cannot predict the future, but but a lot of people who I've talked to who, uh, you know, who, who have a lot of experience with elections and, and um are knowledgeable about it, seem to be very optimistic that this particular system that we are going to implement in future elections is more welcoming um, of different candidates from different communities. Um, so, you know, so that's a little hopeful. Um, you know, so yeah, so I said the system has kept it from happening, but now with this new system, you know, it gives us hope. However, Again, I don't want to be too pessimistic here. Um, however, you know, another thing, another recent development, very recent actually, just from two days ago, that that's is also an example of why 
it's so difficult to have uh, non-white and you know many times also non-male um, leaders in our city, despite our diversity, is because of uh, partisan gerrymandering our districts. And you know, about just two days ago, uh, the redistricting board just finalized you know their their maps and their Senate pairings. And you know, while the district map was acceptable um, in that it kept intact, you know, two of the most diverse neighborhoods in our city, right? You have Mountain View, Fairview, they kept that intact. And then you have Muldoon, they kept those two intact. And then the, they, they kept Muldoon intact into two um, house districts. When they paired it with, with, with Senate seats, however, you know, it, 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 it was very clear to me that it was, you know, partisan gerrymandering. Um, and so, so for example, with what happened with Muldoon is they paired instead of, you know, the logical, the logical Senate pairing could have been, you know, just put the two Muldoon house districts together for a Senate seat, for one Senate seat, right? And that makes sense. I live in that neighborhood um, and that's my neighborhood. I consider that to be my neighborhood. You know, the whole length of Muldoon, I consider it to be my neighborhood. That's, that's where my, me and my family live. That's where we shop. That's where we recreate, you know, <laughs> that's where we hang out. That's where we drive back and forth every day. Um, but for some reason, my neighborhood now, which is, you know, considered to be South Muldoon, quote unquote, um, now we're paired with Eagle River. So now we're going to share the same senator as Eagle River. So, so what, what three people in the redistricting board I guess concluded is that my neighborhood is not part of North Muldoon, but instead my neighborhood is part of this other community across the Alaska range or a mountain range, not Alaska, but across this mountain range behind me. Um, that is what, like 20 miles away on the highway. Um, it, it doesn't make sense, right? And then also part of, uh, part of Mountain View is now you know, paired with you know, with another district. And so it, it, it actually, um, you know, and th these are the, you know, the most racially um, diverse parts of Anchorage, right? And so what, what, what happens here, or what, what's happened here is that the voices of the most diverse neighborhoods in Anchorage are going to be diluted. Um, and, and really, um, you know, uh, erased by my case, Eagle River voices. So, so that's another big reason why I feel pessimistic that we're going to have more non-white political leaders or elected leaders um, in our city um, because of this. Yeah. So as you were talking, it reminded me of that same article that we started out thinking about from a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that you say in there is that nobody seems to understand that a big part of racism is power. Mm -hmm. um, as mm -hmm. I hear you talking there, th that's the thing that comes up for me. Would, would you mind elaborating a little bit about that statement yeah. and how, how you see that work in this dynamic? Yeah. So, you know, oftentimes when people think about racism, you know, they think of racism that happens between people, um, but that's just one kind of racism. Um, you know, it's interpersonal racism. And even then, you know, when people think about racism, they, they also tend to conflate it with prejudice, um, you know, or some form of bias, right? in this case, racial bias, right? And, you know, we have to remember that uh, prejudice is different from racism. It's related to racism, but it's, it's different. Um, like, um, you know, we all hold biases, all of us as human beings hold biases and we can be prejudiced about, you know, a number of things, right? Prejudice about race, prejudice about gender, sex, whatever, you know, um, but the only way that that prejudice can become oppression. So in this case, the only way that racial prejudice can become racism is with power, right? So I can be, for example, I can be prejudiced toward another white person, and that's not a good thing. You know, you can call me a jerk for being that, right? Uh, you can call me prejudiced 
toward white people, uh, you know, for being that. And that's not a good thing, but it's inaccurate to call me racist toward a white person because Filipinos don't have power over white people. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, like when we look at who holds power in our society, who have, you know, who holds wealth, who controls, you know, a lot of the resources, you know, it's, it's, it's not Filipinos. So, you know, so again, prejudice is different from racism. And so in this particular case, you know, in this case, you see power and also you see in this case, really racism in the institutional level. You don't see it in the interpersonal level. It's not like the redistricting board, you know, were saying, you know, bigoted, you know, racist things toward uh, peoples of color. They, they were not doing that. It's not, it's not racism on the interpersonal level. Um, you know, they may very well be not racist, like on the interpersonal level. I don't know them. I don't, I don't know what kind of prejudices they have or don't have. Um, however, the fact that they voted, or at least three of them uh, voted in this way, right? Despite knowing that by voting in this way, it'll dilute, or, may, or another way to say it is it'll weaken, right? The voices of communities of color to elect the leader that, that they want, right? Um, then that is institutional racism in action. Um, you know, people, people, but people, again, mainstream, you know, just mass uh, population, you know, we, we tend to not understand that racism can also exist and operate in, in the institutional level. Racism is more than just interpersonal stuff. Um, and actually, many times the, the most damaging forms of racism are, you know, the racism that happens in the institutional level. Um, and this is a clear example of this, in my opinion. And it's, you know, again, going back to your question about power, you know, this redistricting board, you see the, you know, you see a clear difference there in power between, in this case, you know, white folks and non-white folks. You know, the districting board composed of five people, you have three white folks and two native women, right? And there's the imbalance of power right there, right? But then it's, it goes beyond that. Like, who are the people who appointed these, you know, the, these board members, right? And how did they get to be in that position, right? How did they get to be in power, you know, that, that then gave them this, this privilege to select who they want to be on this board, right? So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I think so much of the discussion around race is more that interpersonal mm -hmm. sort of, um, you know, you often hear people say like, but I'm not racist. Mm -hmm. um, while still participating maybe in a system that, that is functioning mm -hmm. that way, um, which I guess moves us towards another hot button topic and not one that I necessarily warned you or even thought we might get into, but I mean, the kind of debate that's been happening nationally about how we talk about race mm. and ideas of critical race theory and so on. Um, mm -hmm. What yeah. is a good way, I, I guess the question I would have for you is, is, what is a good way to begin talking about those systems that you were just mentioning and the ways that they function mm -hmm. um, in light of the fact that so many people want to just distance themselves from the issue by saying, well, I'm not personally prejudiced or racist. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very complicated issue. Right. Um, you know, but I think a very important, um, I think a very important, I guess, acceptance <laughs> that we, uh, all of us, especially those of us who are in power, and I consider myself to be to be one of those people who are in positions of privilege and power, um, you know, because of my education, because of where I am now in my life. Um, you know, I think we need to accept the truth about this country that we live in, um, you know, as painful as that might be, you know, and, you know, we need to, to understand that, um, you know, this country was, was built on really stolen indigenous lands. You know, as, as painful as that might be for us to, to accept, you know, that's the truth, that's reality. Um, we also must accept the reality, the truth, as painful as it may be, that this country was built on the enslavement of Black people. Um, 
and how that particular uh, system of oppression, uh, particularly, you know, with black people, um, has built an accumulated gap over the decades and over, you know, the generations between white folks and black folks, right? Um, and also as a country, we need to accept the fact. So here's the third acceptance. One is built on stolen lands, built on the backs of enslaved black people. The third important acceptance that we must make as a country is that we grew to become a world power because of the colonialism and really the exploitation of other people's lands and resources. Those are real and that's, that's the reality, that's the truth. Um, and, you know, and to be honest with you, this, this recent debate about critical race theory, first of all, this, this has nothing, well, it's related to critical race theory, but critical race theory is, is to me, it never made sense to me what the, what the issue was about critical race theory, because critical race theory is not in our K-12 school. I don't know what K-12 school teaches critical race theory, but, but if there's a K-12 school that teaches critical race theory, then wow, the students in that school must be really, really advanced because critical race theory is like law school, grad school level stuff. So I'm not sure what, what this debate is about anyways. You know, it's, uh, at least it's not about critical race theory. Um, but, but anyways, given this recent, I guess, controversy about these historical truths, right? And, and whether or not we should tell our children these truths or if, 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 if our children can handle them, right? And how young uh, should, you know, how young, you know, can, can children be before they can handle these things? To me, what that tells me, at least, is that we as a country are not, you know, we're not ready. We're, if we cannot even accept these, you know, basic facts about who we are as a country, then we're so, 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 so far away from, from healing um, and from, you know, becoming healthy together. Um, it's, it's, it's really discouraging. Um, right, because you know we are filled with this this idea that that we've made progress, um, especially when it comes to race in this country. But then you know things like this happen, and you're like, "What? I guess we haven't made progress at all because you're you're over here denying these basic facts, um, and actually not just even denying it, but wanting to distort it. You know, uh, so it's it's." Yeah, it's, it's really discouraging. So my next question actually kind of moves it back to the city of Anchorage and is kind of a question about progress. So with having mm -hmm. um, Mayor Quinn Davidson or acting Mayor Quinn Davidson and now um, Chief McCoy being the first African-American police chief, is there progress being made in the city um, in, in light of that? Or how, how would you see that even the in, in light of those kind of developments that have happened in, in the last year or two. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really happy for, you know, for Austin Quinn Davidson. I'm really happy for um, Chief McCoy. Um, I think symbolically, you know, it, it's really powerful. And, you know, I, I don't want to minimize that, um, you know, but, you know, but we have to remember that Austin Quinn Davidson was not elected. You know, so that there's, that's a big difference. Like, are we actually, are people going to turn out and vote for somebody, right? Who is, you know, not male and not white. And, you know, so we don't know yet. <laughs> we still don't know that yet. Um, and then with Chief McCoy, you know, um, same thing. He wasn't elected, right? Um, and he was deputy chief for a while. And so he actually was just next in line. You see what I'm saying? And even that was not a, was not automatic <laughs> you know he still almost didn't get it even though he was next in line so you know it's so again i don't want to take away from 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 that because again i think you know 
it has its impact. But to me, um, you know, w- when we talk about progress, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, to, to, to race, you know, even if we just stay with race right now, um, just to paraphrase James Baldwin a little bit, um, you know, what I remember when he was asked about progress, or I think it was some, somebody was, was, you know, was telling him that, okay, well, progress takes time, right? We need to take these small steps over time. You know, so maybe, you know, Austin Quinn Davidson's appointment was a small step and maybe uh, Chief McCoy's appointment is a small step, you know, and then people can tell us, all right, that's progress. See, we're making progress. You just got to be patient, right? Because progress takes time. You know, to me, you know, it's similar to what James Baldwin said about this. How much time do people need? Um, for, for, for this progress that they're talking about, right? Because um, again, going back to the history of this country, you know, this country was built on stolen indigenous lands, right? And indigenous peoples have been fighting for their lands, right? And for their, you know, for, for their, you know, for the treaties that they've, uh, you know, come in agreement with, uh, with this country, uh, but they've been fighting for their rights and for their lands and for their culture for many, 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 many decades now and many generations, right? Um, Black people, you know, were enslaved and, you know, for, for a very long time. And then their descendants, right, have been, you know, uh, even though, quote unquote, slavery ended, you know, their descendants still had to experience blatant racism, both interpersonal and institutional racism, right? With the Jim Crow laws, with, um, you know, even today, right? If you look at, for example, uh, who's incarcerated, you know, it's still mostly Black people who are getting incarcerated, right? So, you know, so racism is is still very much alive today, especially anti-Black racism is very much alive today, right? And so, so when we think about you know, this notion of, you know, you just have to be patient because progress takes time. Well, how much time do people need? Um, you know, it's been going on for many, many decades, and many, many generations now. Like how much more time do people need to actually say, yes, we need, you know, uh, we need to elect, you know, a non-white person, you know, as a leader. <laughs> you know, let's try that out. At least, you know, for example, here in Anchorage, I, I don't know how many mayors we've had already, um, but, you know, but we've tried the white male, uh, you know, I guess, route, you know, many, many times now over and over again, you know, and sure, there's some good things about it, but, you know, well, now let's, why don't we try another leader? <laughs> I don't know, you know, or are we going to just chip away? I, I don't know. You know, and, and, and even when we do, right, even when we do. So, for example, just nationally, we had Barack Obama, you know, he got elected as president. Right. So even after that, it doesn't mean that it's over. You know, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything is equal and everything is balanced and everything is equitable. Right. So. So, yeah. So, you know, that's the other thing I think that that people need to understand um, in that, you know, it, this has been going on for. A very long time now, for many decades and many generations now. Um, so, for example, in Anchorage, we've, we've elected a white male mayor over and over again um, throughout our history now. And so, you know, if it so happens that we elect a non-white mayor here in the near future, it doesn't mean that it's done. It doesn't mean that our work toward racial equity is done. Um, not even close. You know, because unless we vote, you know, the next, I don't know, 25 mayors, <laughs> unless the next 25 mayors are non-white, then yeah, then maybe you can start talking about, okay, maybe it is equitable now, right? But, but no, it's not even close. Oh, yes, we have a long, long ways to go, is what I'm trying to say here. So before I move to the final question, I would just ask, what am I missing or 
what would you want folks to know about this topic that maybe we haven't gotten into yet today? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so with this topic, you know, I think we've touched on many important things that I want people to know. So I, let me just reiterate some of them here. Um, one, I think it's important for people to know that, you know, what happened in the past um, is not just the past. Um, what happened in the past continues to have important implications today. So even if, you know, like even if we believe that, you know, that that racism or that slavery is done with, um, you know, and, and that colonialism is done with, um, it doesn't really mean that those things have no implications today because the systems that were established during slavery times, the systems that were established during colonialism times, those are the same systems that are still around and are still operating today. Um, you know, our educational system established during colonialism, um, our, you know, our, you know, justice system, our uh, police departments, um, they were all, you know, established during slavery and, you know, even during the Jim Crow era, you know, with our justice system. And so, so they are the same systems um, that are still operating today. Um, so it's not done. So our past has a lot to do with our current situation. Um, and, and, you know, and until we, we accept that, you know, then, you know, then we're not going to heal. So that's important to understand. Our past is so connected to the present. And then, you know, the other thing I think, um, you know, when it comes to us here locally in Anchorage, um, you know, again, our diversity is great. You know, that's one of our strengths as a city. Um, but we need to move beyond, you know, just surface level acknowledgement of it or celebration of it. Um, you know, we need to, we need to like genuinely see our diversity as an asset to our city, um, not just an accessory to our city. Um, and one way that uh, we can show that we genuinely value this diversity that we are so proud of um, is by actually listening to the different communities that compose this diversity um, and allowing them to finally take the lead. Thank you so much for sharing all of that um, and for, for challenging me and those that will hear this to think about how we how we engage with diversity in the city beyond, as you said, these kind of surface things that we like to celebrate mm-hmm. um, yeah. into really hearing the voices that are different than ours. Mm-hmm. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, I, I know this, this, this is probably not the best quote to use right now because I'm going to be quoting a, a white rapper. Um, vanilla ice uh but but you know his his most famous song um actually starts with you know a quote that i think is very pertinent to what we as as a city can do um which is stop collaborate and listen (laughs) you know and and what to me what 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 I, i i you know i use that as an easy to remember um reminder you know one is we need to stop meaning let's stop our um, typical ways of doing things, right? Our um, typical procedures, just stop and question it for, for a little bit, right? Um, let's stop our assumptions that this is the best way to do things. Um, you know, so let's stop. And then also let's collaborate. So when we, when we work with different communities, especially communities that we are not a part of, right? Um, we need to um, control our tendency to you know, act like saviors, to act like we're the experts, to act like you know we're going to solve whatever problem it is, you know that that we're facing. You know, but instead we need to to collaborate with people. We need to collaborate with communities, and many times you know take let them take the lead instead of us leading. You know, because it is them who are the experts and not us. 
know, it is them who are the experts about their lives and not us. And then lastly, you know, related to that collaboration piece is listen, right? Let's listen to the communities. Um, let's listen to their, to their experiences, to their realities. Um, let's listen to their own ideas about solutions. Um, because, you know, I'm sure, you know, when we talk about diversity, we're not just talking about diversity, skin color and diversity in food and diversity in languages. You know, we're also talking about diversity in worldviews and diversity of thinking, right? And, you know, as, as, as educated and as bright and, you know, as experienced as some of us might be, um, we have been socialized to think a certain way. And there might be other solutions out there that, you know, that, that do not come naturally to us anymore. Well, diversity in thought, diversity in worldview, you know, can bring really innovative solutions to some of our most pressing problems right now, right? And so if we're really going to value this diversity that we are so quick to, to shout to the world about, you know, then let's listen. Let's listen to the diverse worldviews and the diverse ways of thinking of the different people that compose our community. So my final question for you is one that we ask of all of our guests. So is there a spiritual or mindfulness or self-care practice that you do personally that helps keep you centered in the work that you do? Yeah. Um, me personally, it's, it's, I, I don't do anything fancy. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, um, I know, I know many people who, you know, who engage in informal like mindfulness stuff and really reserve time for that. Um, but for me, it's just my family. It's just my kids. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that's, that's my self-care um, is my children. They, uh, they really keep things in perspective for me. Um, you know, and, and whenever I find myself feeling exhausted um, whenever I find myself uh, just feeling drained and defeated, um, you know, just looking at my kids reminds me that this is more than just me. Um, and, 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 you know, our work here, and it's not just me, but our work here, um, you know, while we're alive, um, many of this is, is not really going to be for us or going to benefit us, but it's going to be for you know, the younger generation. Um, and to me, you know, so even though sometimes I feel hopeless, you know, I, like I mentioned during our, the beginning of our chat here um, about how things are right now. Um, and, you know, yeah, sometimes I, I can get really pessimistic given, you know, all of the different things that don't go, you know, our way. Um, seeing my kids and thinking of my kids uh, reminds me that, you know, I might not see the benefits of the of work now, but, but maybe they will, you know, and, and that keeps me going. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for taking time to talk about this important subject with us and with the folks that will listen. I really appreciate having you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I've seen, um, I haven't gone to, to, to very many restaurants or coffee shops, you know, during the pandemic, but one of them was, you know, because my, one of my kids go to Polaris and he's now uh, into this age where he wants to hang out with his friends. So now they like walk to Kaladi, which is close to Polaris. Um, and, uh, so one time I went in there looking for him and I saw your anchored art thing. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so thank you for inviting me. Y'all are doing great work. Thanks to Austin Quinn Davison and EJR David for joining me. 
Both of them gave us a lot to consider as we think about making Anchorage the way it's supposed to be for all people. I'll be back with the final episode of this season next week. Until then, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for our partner this season, Kaladi Brothers Coffee. Kaladi's is a catalyst for community. Stop into one of their 17 cafes in Anchorage, across Alaska, and in Seattle, or check them out at kaladi.com. That's K-A-L-A-D-I dot com. We are also grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we are grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the head, hearts, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean a desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Ledger.